Oh, it's no, snoring. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, sleepy dog snoring. I had to, I had to exactly. wait for the camera to focus. Or yeah. either the camera to focus or my eyes to focus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the pre-accident investigation safety moment. No, 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 no. That's one of the... No. This is a full-blown pod, man. What am I saying? I'm, it's like I lost my mind. Um, I think you'll find today interesting. It's a conversation that um, Professor P. Ivan Pupilidi and I had around the Redonda case, uh, the nurse at Vanderbilt in Nashville. And it's it's interesting because it, it's going to look at it maybe in a little different way. And that's kind of part of the challenge of what's going on here. I, I want to keep this on the burner. Is that the right metaphor? You know, me and food metaphors. I want to keep this in the donut fryer. Let's go with that. Um, as much as I can, because I don't want this to fall off the radar. But I must tell you, I think this one has gotten much more attention and necessary attention, important attention than than what it would have had it not have been sort of taken on by our community around the globe. And so that's an exciting and important piece of information. I hope it makes a difference. I think it will. I may be a little bit overly Pollyanna-ish, but why not look at the glass half full? As opposed to an engineer who would tell me the glass is the wrong size. Okay, we can talk about the glass later. That's an important part of it as well. I hope you're doing well and forging ahead in the midst of this tremendous uncertainty. The economic uncertainty is certainly something that's influencing everybody at the corporate organizational level. You feel it. I know you feel it. And I know that it makes the work we do, um, I, you know, I think it makes the work we do make sense. Resilience is is stunningly important. And we're getting lots and lots and lots of examples of it as we progress. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's unbelievable to me um, the support around the book that uh, Sidney Decker and I threw together. Crafted. No, cra- that's the word is crafted. Um, if you've not seen it or had a chance to see it, I'm, I guess I'm going to recommend it. That seems weird. I'm, I'm only half of it, so I can probably get away with that. But the feedback has been really remarkable. To the point where I wonder if um, it's worth our time to bring Sydney on and talk about it a little bit. One of the things that's so interesting is that the group that seems to be most appreciative of, of it um, are is a good book to give to leaders, which I hadn't thought of. Which is weird. I should have thought of that. I mean, it seems like something I should have thought of. Other than that, um, the, one other request. I'd like to do a joke episode just because I feel like we need it. So if you have a good joke you want to share, record it on your little phone and send it to me. That would be perfect. OfficeToddConklin at gmail.com. Um, it'd be kind of nice to throw together some jokes. Don't you feel it kind of? Do you feel it? I think that's worth it. Now make sure, you know, well... We'll screen them for appropriateness, but you can do it as well. But, yeah, send your jokes. That would be great. That 
I think would give us a little sense of community as well. And anything we can do to feel positive and give ourselves a little energy, well, I think that's worth the trip. So without much further ado, I got the joke episode talked about. Check. Uh, I talked about the book, but I didn't mean to. So I guess check, but kind of not check. Uh, I set this up so we can talk about the Redonda case and see what's going on there. Sit back and see what you think. It's it's just the three of us, Ivan, myself, and you. And we're going to talk a little bit about the language of blame, the language of accountability. So that's always interesting. So until then, my friends, enjoy immensely. This is all for you. Here's the pod. You know, there's language involved in this that's really quite interesting. And the several of the articles, one in particular, an NPR article, quotes um, quotes Vaught as having said that she was and complacent. And I think one of those words serves to describe what was going on, and the other one doesn't serve to describe what was going on. The first one, distracted, certainly describes what was happening. But complacent, it doesn't really fit at all, but it does feed into our desire as a society to hold somebody accountable so in a traditional sense. Let's talk about this phenomenon before we go any further, because I think you bring up something really interesting. So every single time I've talked to a worker who's had some kind of event, they almost always unanimously fall on their sword and, they do. and tell me they were complacent, they screwed up, they did it wrong. Fundamental attribution it's their bad and it feels that way i know it feels that way it's a genuine emotion there's no question about that the problem is is that it's simply not true and if we stop there then all we've stopped at is sort of understanding how they feel so it's um how can i say this and not sound terribly offensive it's a it's a bad investigator who stops questioning there you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's I think it's something else though. I think that people in their desire to be honest go to contrition. They want to be contrite. And and when they want to be contrite, they fall into these traps that are traps that are set socially. So these are socially constructed traps. And we've used that word complacency around accidents and incidents and error for so long that I think it's been enculturated. So when a person says it, they're not really saying that they have smug reg- resignation to do something. They're never smug about this. I don't think there was ever a time that Radon Devot was smug. But the definition of complacency is a smug resignation to something, right? So when we start to think about this, I think it's really something that is more social in terms of how we describe this in an effort to be honest, and maybe it's like over honest, uber honest, right? So she's she's trying her best to take responsibility, to be forthright, to be upfront. And this word complacency enters into the conversation. When it enters, it changes the conversation, not subtly, but massively. And it moves us almost instantly to trying to take some sort of pound of flesh from Redonda. Now, the first time they investigated it, they found her 
um, uh, I, guess, I guess innocent. They, they didn't find a problem. Allowed her to maintain her job and keep her credentials. Well, they didn't even investigate at that point. Well, I, I, th I think they did kind of a hospital investigation. It seems like what the hospital did was the hospital settled on what the two doctors, the two, um, the two doctors who reviewed the case immediately afterwards said, which was that this person essentially died of, it, of natural causes, a brain bleed. Right. And it wasn't until afterwards that they did some work. I mean, it, this is another problem with this particular case is that nothing happened with immediacy. Everything happened months, years after. And nothing at the time was really gathered except her statement. And, and the, I mean, even the autopsy wasn't done right away. Nothing was really done right away. Everything was kind of put on hold. And you don't know if the, if the hospital was trying to do that intentionally. I mean, you could say that, that the hospital was trying to sweep it under the carpet. Certainly, certainly the family of the, of the deceased feels that the hospital was being complicit in some sort of a cover up. They use that language. Maybe they were, or maybe they just didn't react in the moment. Maybe they didn't have that capacity because it seems like the entire system was overwhelmed, not just the nursing staff, but the entire system seems to, seems to have been overwhelmed in this case. And it's a system that doesn't really do a lot of investigation, like investigation, investigation. They're not very good at learning from events. They're not good at reflection. So, I mean, how often have we tried, you and I both, tried in the medical industry to get the, the and we're going to try again when we do our next presentation, we're going to try and get the, this group of people to reflect. And one of the things that we're going to say to them is that, you know, you do your pre-mission discussion, your pre-action discussion, however you want, tailboard, tailgate, whatever you want to call it, to set what is going to, what you expect to be normal, <clears throat> In, your, in terms of your expectations, but then they miss a really important part. So let's, let's think about this, let's walk through it. If, if we were to think about, um, is, it, is the sound coming through okay? Cause I'm getting a gravelly echo on my side. No, you sound really good. It's almost like a, a movie star. You, oh, you sound oh, like that. a movie star kind of. You, <laughs> well, you do. You, you look anyway, like, you look like a hobo, but you sound like a movie, movie star. <laughs> I'm definitely getting a weird feedback on my end. All right. So if we start to walk ourselves through this and we think about what medicine has tried to, to gain from aviation, one of the things that they tried to do is they tried to gain checklists, which they haven't really done a very good job of. Another thing that they tried to get was the, the pre-mission briefings that are common in aviation. This, and, and then the last thing that I think they really tried to get was the after action review piece. Neither one of those two last things are done very well. Actually, all three of them aren't done very well, honestly. The checklists, the pre-mission briefings, and the post-mission after-action reviews aren't done very well in medicine. And I think it's an overall sense that when the mission is over, it's done with, we just put it behind us and move on to the next thing until there's a complication, which really suggests, like you're saying, that the system itself is not a learning system. It's a reactive system. Well, there's a couple of points that I would make to that. One is hospitals are places where people go to die. So that happens. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would suggest, and I think this is going to be a rather damning thing to say, is that when they looked to aviation, what they looked for were the answers. Yes. And what they needed to learn from aviation were the questions. Exactly. So they stole every right. tool they could possibly steal. 
that that was easy to bring into the system. It was easy to fit. So checklists are easy. You know, you could just you could start those tomorrow. And because they stole all these easy tools, they thought, well, we've done it. I mean, here we are. We're we're aligning with aviation. What they don't realize or didn't realize is that it's a philosophical shift and that the tools, checklists, postmortems, pre-job briefs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, those aren't in and of themselves incredibly magical. Like Harry Potter yeah. didn't bring those from the fortress of boogers or wherever Harry Potter is recently now, those are just artifacts. Those are just tools. And, yeah, and I think that your word on that is perfect. They are artifacts. And what they should have, what they should have stolen. It's easy to say should, cause you know, here we are, but they should have taken the questions, not the answers. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is this ability to build margin into the system. And so if you look at the Redonda Vaught situation, they have this machine that dispenses drugs the acronym for which is ADC. Machine has a bunch of barriers that are built into it. There are other barriers within the system to make sure that, that medications are marked in certain ways, that they're packaged in certain ways that prevent you from misinterpreting or misunderstanding what, you, what it is that you've selected. All of those things existed inside this system with Redon Devon. And all of those things were downplayed by the university medical system. Every single thing in the hospital system downplayed the warning signs, downplayed the barriers. They were told, overlook the barriers, use overrides. And she even says in one of her, in one of her statements that uh, she needed an override code for absolutely everything that she was going to give to this, this patient, regardless of its of potency, right? Or its potential to do harm. So when you have a rule, regulation, policy, or procedure that seems to be important, that acts as a barrier, and the system tells you to override it, to overlook it, to go beyond it, to go past it, to work around it, it devalues every single rule, regulation, policy, and procedure in that system. Well, it's no longer a barrier. It's no longer a barrier. Because it's, it's, they've been told, go around it, override it. And so when you start to see her situation, the situation of being overworked, the situation of being distracted, having a trainee with her. I mean, this was, you don't put trainees with people who aren't competent. The system doesn't do that. So we have to assume in the beginning that the system valued this person. And all of a sudden, over a period of years, even years after this event, they devalued the person. And then they wanted to make the person essentially a scapegoat. And it's tragic because the system now has moved itself even further away from learning. So I've often said, you can quote me on this, everybody does who's heard it, but information is the currency of safety. So if information is the currency of safety, you have to be very, very careful that you don't do things that disrupt the flow of information. Prosecuting Radon Devot completely disrupted the flow of communication within the system. And it's gone, it's transcended the system. It, this has gone into what, 14 million views of the video of her talking about this. People are talking about this at multiple different levels. And there are two extremes. The one extreme is 
is that Redondavat should be forgiven. The other extreme is that Redondavat should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law and no punishment. So I think we, we probably ought to examine those two positions, right? Certainly the folks that are, I mean, we're, we are aligned with the folks who are saying do less to her and more for her to try and understand the event. But the other side of the camp, the ones that want to do more to her and move away from understanding, they have a perspective too, a protective perspective of their culture. It is important inside their culture. And so I think we need to, we need to sort of understand that this is a very fragile balance. When we have somebody who makes a medical error like this, we can see the wrong in it immediately. But what we can't see is the, the context of the wrong, unless we really, really look and start to ask the questions that you're talking about. And I don't think this system is particularly adept at asking those questions before, during, or after an event. Right. And I think it's probably worth saying, as strongly as we can say it, that this has been a problem before. This it will be a problem after. And and the challenge is is that it's almost a structural problem that the organizations that actually manage high risk high consequence healthcare across the country are not really incentivized to do anything other than continue to sort of keep the bureaucratic burden at the level it's at, which is kind of a mean thing to say. And it's also kind of a true thing to say. And I think that when we start to look at why that is, I mean, let's ask ourselves that question. Why does the system perpetuate itself this way? Because you said, like you said, this is the first time and it won't be the last time. So there are, there are things inside the system that keep us mired in this. One of them is liability. And when we get into this, this focus of liability, that isn't a question of what happened how it happened, that is a question of who. Who can we blame? And often the who is determined by another who, and that's the who that has power. Right. And so what we see is we see a power dynamic trying to protect itself. And when that happens, you're not going to get information. You're not going to get learning out of the system. You're going to get somebody that they hang on the, on the fence as a scapegoat. And that's actually called, just for your information, the iron law of bureaucracy. Yeah. And it's incredibly normal. It's it, it's yeah. it exists in all organizations, but it's incredibly it's incredibly devastating when you counter it with your comment that's beautiful, and that is that information is the currency of safety. Because the need to continue to support the bureaucracy as it exists now actually reduces the ability. You're, of course, you're not going to learn more. And of course, you're not going to say the emperor has no clothes on or, you know, there's a crack in the wall because those things don't actually support the status quo, which is a difficult challenge. Is this event, could this event, that's a better question, could this event be the beginning of a much greater conversation? It could be if the system was open to learning. So four days ago, 
the Tennessean reports that Redondavat verdict showed jurors didn't fully understand the role of nurses. And, and I would suggest the system itself doesn't fully understand the role of nurses. Nurses are there for a bunch of different reasons inside this system. And if you look at this case, if you read what happened that day with Redonda, you can see that she was facing a bunch of different things, things that were within and without the normal scope of, of work of a nurse. She wasn't getting paid more to, t to train. I'm willing to bet she wasn't getting paid more to train somebody. Maybe she was, but that doesn't even matter. What matters is that she had a whole bunch of different jobs that she had to do and the system didn't really understand what her role was in the system. And because of that, if the system doesn't understand the individual's role, how can the individual understand their role? You know, my wife went through nursing training and she was top of her class in nursing school. And she determined that she couldn't do the job for a variety of different reasons. And among those reasons, what was this idea of not really fully understanding what the role of nursing was? What it's what it started as, what it evolved into, and what it's continuing to to evolve into. And these these technical barriers that we put in their in their way, and couple that with the an amount of work that they have to do and the amount of liability that they have to assume becomes really an unfair situation for the nurse themselves. And then they're not really valued inside the system as other members of the system are. For example, doctors are much more highly valued than nurses are in the system. This has been true for a really, really long time. So, so, so nurses tend to be overlooked, overworked and overlooked. And if you start to think about that and you start to think about all of these different barriers that they put in place to prevent this from happening, none of which worked, then the system as a whole is the problem. No individual is the problem. So put on your professor hat. What should right. we, what should we be learning? And I don't think your professor has to sleep with dogs on it. <laughs> it might. It might. Um, well, so what, what, what should we be learning? Well, I think that the bottom line on this is to understand the context. You know, James Reason says, said a long time ago, you, you cannot change the human condition, but you can change the conditions under which humans work. But problematically, we've never really developed a, a methodology of, of mapping what those system conditions are. Those conditions are the context around which a mistake can happen. Once we start to understand those conditions, and it doesn't, it doesn't amount to a single line of causality. What it amounts to is a network of causality. And I think of it not linear and not planar, but like hydrostatic pressure around somebody. It comes from every direction. We start to think about these things. We do this in our program. We do network of influences maps around different incidents. This is gonna be a great one for one of my students to take on as a capstone project. And as we start to see the network of influences around a nurse inside the system, what we start to see is, is again, not causality, but influence coming from a bunch of different directions. So what I would say is that 
first of all, this verdict is going to have lasting effects within the system. The lasting effects that it's going to have is that people aren't going to, they aren't going to provide information because let's kind of look at what she did right. She does this, she recognizes that she's administered the wrong drug and she comes completely clean. Now, if we apply our hindsight vision on this, had she not done that, we wouldn't be talking about this. But she is a completely honest person. Well, that factors heavily into the training that nurses receive of what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to uphold is that level of honesty and forthrightness inside the community. If we look at medical error on a different side, a different level of the organization, we look back and we see things like the hair shirt and how closed circuits of people make decisions about what is right and wrong at higher levels. Well, she met a nursing board and the nursing board made a determination that she made an error. They agreed with her and they revoked her license. And they also fined her. And they felt that that was enough. Then years go by and we come back with no complete investigation of the event. And we try and recreate what happened. So as I look at this from a professorial perspective, we can't look at her case any longer. We now have to look at the system of work. What is normal inside a hospital in terms of the use of these kinds of barriers and the application of these kinds of barriers to prevent a medical error? And once we start to look at what's normal, then we have the ability to begin to learn about the system. So what's happening when so, nothing bad's happening? I mean, that's a what's really, happening when nothing's happening. Yeah. That's a classic Eric Hollenegger question. It's a really important question. You know what I'm learning? And maybe relearning is the word I should use. Is that people think they can manage error. Hmm. And this isn't a story of a nurse who made an error. That happens all the time. Probably many times a day. I mean, I don't even want to think about it. Lots. It's a, it's really the story of a system that couldn't tolerate a pretty predictable error and that lack of tolerance in the system, that fragility or brittleness or whatever fancy word you want to use, that's actually the story. But what I'm afraid people are coming out of this thinking is we need to reduce error. We need to manage error. And I think that's the wrong message. We'll never stop good nurses from making error. That's just not going to happen. So I think you're more than right about this. Wow. But I want to, I want to add something to it. That's a double That's right. right. That's a double. <laughs> I'm double right. You're double right. But I want to say this. I don't think the system really gives a crap about error because they had the same error occur with no consequence and the system didn't react. Yeah. So I think the system is more concerned with managing consequence than it is error. And they mask their management of error, or excuse me, they mask their management of consequence as a management of error. But they really don't care about mistakes. Because like you said, mistakes happen all the time and they don't react to them. They don't react to the small signals inside the system. The only time the system is reactive is when there's a consequence. So I think that's a really important message that that it's the it's the weak condition based signals the context that's really important and we need to listen to those even when there's not a consequence 
Yeah. And that's not a formulaic response. You can't pull a, an accident investigation guide off the shelf and figure that out. Right. This is, this is really fundamentally an art. Like the art of medicine, the art of understanding the context around an incident like this is something that requires a very different sort of approach. And, and that approach is really to understand, not to know, not to judge, but to understand how, how this thing could happen. Right. And that moves us to a very different place, but the weak signals in the system, just a few weeks before Redonda's accident, her lawyer pointed out that somebody made a similar error with no consequence. And the system did absolutely nothing. The system did nothing. They didn't even recognize the potential inside the system. And this was a different drug, but it was the same thing, typing two letters into the ADC and a different drug comes up and the person didn't recognize that the different drug came up. They administered the different drug to the patient. They monitored the patient afterwards and realized that something had gone wrong and they were able to do corrective actions to make sure the patient didn't die. That should be the beginning. But that was the end. Had there been consequences like Redonda's case, it would have been very different. So I agree with you about the error, but I think that it goes a little bit beyond that. I think it goes to consequence. And there you have it. Just um, just some thoughts. I mean, it's kind of a, we, we definitely wanted to talk about it um, because it's such an important issue. And I kind of like the fact that it went into some language under the notion that language really creates permanence and uh, it, it sort of sets the stage for how we respond in the future. So that's the pod. That was it. Thanks for your time. Thanks for being a part of it. Tell your friends, smash that like button, whatever that means until then learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can be kind to each other. That's really valuable. Send us your jokes, please. Por favor. And uh, until then, be safe. Be safe.